Good morning. Let me add my welcome to you uh, all this morning too. I don't know about you, but September has always felt to me a time of year for new beginnings, for fresh starts, a start of a new church year perhaps. I remember going back to school for me in September was always a, a mix of trepidation and a real excitement for what the year has got in store. I don't know if anybody else remembers this, but I used to love going into the very first assembly of the year with the the look and the smell of that freshly lacquered wooden flooring. Can you remember that? It was almost as if the previous year with its scuffs and its dents and its scratches, its mistakes and its imperfections, had all been erased and now brought back to life again with a whole new shiny coat of opportunities and possibilities. Just the smell of varnish for me now evokes all those feelings of a a new term and getting back into the stuff of life. And at the beginning of this year, although things are still very strange and disorientating for many, we still get to ask, Lord, what have you got in your plans for me this year? Even though there's still so much uncertainty in the world right now, and of course it's hard not to be concerned and anxious with all of that, what remains unchanged is a year that is already set out before us. A year not planned around COVID, but in spite of COVID. I hope we all know that we won't be living out God's plan B year this year. That's one thing that we need to be very certain of. So what better way to stand against the threat of COVID than to be reminded through the scripture of a God who never flinches or changes his mind. And we're going to do exactly that for the next few weeks by diving headfirst into the book of Exodus. Our series is unashamedly called Let My People Go. And I had the real privilege this morning of kicking things off for us. I guess arguably Exodus could be seen as one of the greatest accounts of new starts ever written down. But the story of Exodus is, of course, a far greater story than just a new start. That would be me massively underplaying its importance in biblical history. Because we're going to discover, lying at its very heart, an unwavering, passionate God set about the business of rescue. And Exodus is, yes, unmistakably a story of redemption, but it's also equally a story of revelation. This book bristles and comes uh, comes alive with the sheer magnificence of a God who's undisputed and in command. We're going to also see how Exodus serves as a foretaste, a kind of prelude to what is yet to come. As we get to look closer into the book, we're going to see how Jesus watermarks every single one of its pages. 
every triumph, every victory, every promise made in this book will point us forward to the cross where the greatest work of redemption was waiting to unfold. But you know what? Exodus is still, of course, a worthy prelude and worth the attention of every generation, most particularly this one, and perhaps more critically for us at this time. Now, I wouldn't dare begin comparing six months of lockdown to 400 years of captivity and slavery. That would be far too self-indulgent of me. But I can't avoid being reminded that throughout the story of Exodus, it's describing my God too. That I'm now living out a relationship with the same God who swept aside all the other gods of Egypt, parted a sea, swallowed up the greatest army on earth with a, bre- with a gentle breath from his lips and who remains unchanged, unchallenged and as passionate for me and my generation as he was three and a half millennia ago. I get to hear with confidence through the story of Exodus, my name and your name included in the command, let my people go so that they may worship me. And gosh, how relevant is that to us right now? We, you and me, whether we know him personally yet or not, had our names included in that single mighty command. I'm continually amazed that he was making a claim for my life too on that day, even though I was still only just a notion in his heart and a plan in his mind. How wonderfully amazing is our God. Okay, so my job this morning is to try and give us a bit of an overview and a lead into the book of Exodus. And I'm really wanting to begin by reminding us that this is our story too. I'd love it to become not just a collection of well-known Bible accounts that we work our way through each week, but that we ourselves become part of its storyline. Making sure that the great truths of who God is and what he can do don't get left behind in the narrative, but instead get under our skin and deep into our bones. If there are only to be one takeaway from this series, my hope is that we be a greater understanding that the God of Exodus who sets his people free, becomes the God of 2020, who sets his people free. I do hope we're all up for the adventure of that. So as we set off this morning, let me bring you down from Exodus's eagle-eyed view of redemption and revelation. Let's call that the the 10,000-foot view of Exodus, right down to the 1,000-foot view where we get to set and see all the stops and points on the way that we're hoping to make. So in chapter 1 and 2, we're going to find in the land of Egypt, the nation of Israel enslaved by a tyrant king. This is the nation God has chosen as his people to multiply beyond the number of stars in the sky 
and inherit all the places of the earth. But now in the grip of a Pharaoh who's so terrified that this nation will rise up and overpower his land and his people, that he enchains them and puts them to work, making bricks for his cities. In chapter two, we're gonna see the emergence of Moses as a great redeemer of Israel, raised up against terrible odds and equally questionable character failings to become a man of great authority and wisdom entrusted by God with the fate of his people. In chapters three and four, we're gonna see Moses grow in stature as a mighty man of God, where God encounters him, anoints him, empowers him, and sends him to take on the wickedness of Pharaoh. This is where God gets to reveal uh, that he, uh, to the, all the gods of Egypt and to tell them, I am who I am. In chapters five and six, we're gonna see this mature, mighty man of God stand toe to toe with the most powerful ruler of the known world and demand, let my people go. Because if you don't, you're gonna suffer some devastating consequences. We're gonna take some time in the plagues in chapters seven through to 11, where God gets, to, gets in the ring with every one of Egypt's gods, delivering a knockout blow to each one. He takes on the God of the Nile, the God of the sun, the God of nature, the weather, even the God of birthrights is taken down in the last terrifying plague of all. These chapters will get to show us why Revelation stands as a worthy co-star alongside redemption in the great storyline of Exodus. Chapters 12 through 14, we'll look at the Passover, its consequences and its significance both then and today. Why, why are we called to remember, to, to always remember? Looking back on God's faithfulness is as critical as looking forward to his promises. In these chapters, we get to ask the question, how do we let go of captivity and trust in God for our freedom when our, our doubting uh, uh, is still there and we're looking into the unknown? We're going to stop off at the extraordinary moment before the Red Sea where God finally puts an end uh, in an instant to 400 years of his people's persecution and pain. Then in chapter 15, we're going to hear the song of Moses. In fact, the song of, in, of an entire nation gets poured out in this one chapter. Let my people go so that they may worship me. A cry that's on many of our hearts right now, I'm sure. In chapters 16 through to 18, in fact, literally through to the end of the book, we're going to enter the wilderness. God's workshop, where 
we're going to see God's people enter a place where God gets to say, I love you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to show you things and teach you things. They're going to set out the pattern for life. I'm going to put some safe boundaries around right and wrong called law. You're going to love me, hate me, be totally dependent on me, be frustrated with me, lose heart, lose faith, fear me, be angry with me, turn away from me. But you know what? We're going to make it. We're going to fight off the giants together. And you will know that I'm your God. You're going to build me a house. Make me a home where I can dwell and be glorified in. Out of my workshop wilderness, you will emerge as a people defined and distinct only by my presence. You will become a people who will only go where I first lead. Okay, so excited. I'm hoping that that has wet your whistle, as my mum always used to say. And of course, there's so much more to unpack as we take hold of this book together over the next few weeks. Okay, so for the remainder of my time this morning, I want to briefly touch on a couple of passages in chapters one and two, just to help us get up and on our way. And if you've got Bibles with you, um, I'm going to be looking at chapter one, verse eight to 14. And then chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. So here we go. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities of Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made, um, made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all the kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So jumping on, chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and that God, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I did say a bit earlier that I wasn't going to dare to attempt any kind of real comparison between 400 years of brutal slavery and the six months of lockdown and restrictions that COVID has brought us. 
I know that I also need to walk a fine line between, of course, not underplaying COVID and the effects it's had and it's still having on many of our lives, but not overplaying it against the sufferings found here in the book of Exodus. I guess, though, if we look at things from a global perspective right now, I may not be stretching things as far as I think. Our oppressor is not a regime or a cruel taskmaster, but an unseen enemy that's had no prejudices or designs on any one race of people other than, of course, the human race itself. It's not enslaved us, but it has taken lives, nearly a million globally to date, and it still continues to threaten our lives, our livelihoods, and our freedoms. Our taskmaster, if we've had one over the last six months, has become fear. And our preaching series over the summer, Faith Over Fear, was deliberately put together to help us stand up against this enemy and dispute his power over us. We've found that if we don't continually use the word of God and the, the knockout blow, blows that we find within it, and Exodus, by the way, has a colossal volley of those. If we don't use his word to take out fear as a constant in our lives right now, we ignore the great promises embedded in passages like this. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So let me set out for us on this adventure into Exodus with four very important words to take hold of. God hears. God reminds, God knows, and God responds. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. Okay, so throughout Exodus, you're going to hear two words quite frequently, and both beginning with G grumbling and groaning. And it's very important at this stage that we get to distinguish between the two. In this context, grumbling is what God doesn't necessarily want to hear too much of. On the other hand, groaning is very much what God is wanting to hear. Grumbling, and you're going to hear a lot of it scattered about the pages of Exodus, sits on the very negative spectrum of human response. And I'm going to leave someone else to unpack grumbling further along in the series. Now, where grumbling often has a very surface, very cerebral, often critical nature to its character, groaning comes from a much deeper place within the human soul. And it's this that God turns his ear to. These are not 
negative, selfish mumblings God is hearing here, but deep heart cries of pain. These are voices that have had enough, come to the end and have lost all hope. And God tunes in. God hears our cries. He hears our pain and our struggle. Unlike grumbling, it's never filtered out of his attention. When our lowest moments are given over to him, he hears and responds. And then in those lowest moments, God also gets to remind the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob remembers He remembers his promises and reminds us of them. This phrase is said, I believe, nearly two dozen times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and is meant as a reminder to us uh, in his word that he is the God of promise, that what he says, he does. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give you your offspring all these lands. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And of course, Jesus gets to put the final full stop on the end of all God's promises to us. In fact, Exodus itself is just one long Jesus-shaped promise that gets to culminate in the greatest promise of all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Full stop. Finally, God's response to the heart cry of his people is that he knows, he knows God saw the people of Israel and he knew. And this isn't a passive he knows, this is a very active he knows. This is God knowing, understanding, and then responding. Because look at what gets unleashed in chapters three and four and beyond. His response is all out destruction of an enemy who has kept his people down through fear and force. In the Song of Moses in chapter 15, it says, our God is a warrior God. God heard and then he knew and now he responds. Because I've heard and I know freedom is coming to you. Another promise is coming your way. I've observed you and I've Uh, of what's been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land flowing with milk and honey. God hears, he knows and responds. Reading through the book of Exodus, whether it be the thousand foot story of the most astonishing rescue mission in history, or the 30,000 foot view of a redemptive love for a captive people that starts in a burning bush and ends at a cross on a hill. 
our God of Exodus remains the same eternal God, leaning his ear towards the rising cries of a troubled world, even today. The same eternal God who hears and knows, whose Holy Spirit now gets to meet every painful cry, every fear-filled thought, every disappointment, every loss, every wave of loneliness we're feeling right now, every hopeless situation we're facing is now met by him and the promise of his presence among us. The same presence that gets to define us as his people for this time and causes us to say, we will not go where you don't first lead. Let's give him our groanings. Let's not giving, uh, give our, make our groanings become our grumblings. It's so important we're not defined by that right now. Let's go all out to trust him with the stuff of life, whatever that looks like at the moment. Let's take him up on the invitation to let the cries of our hearts rise up to him and be heard. Let's be the exodus people that is calling us out to be for this time. Those who re respond to the call to be set free and to go boldly and confidently into both our known and unknown places. I can go on uh, for so much longer, but why don't I just pray into some of that before I finish? So feel free to stand, sit, kneel, whatever feels comfortable for you right now. Lord, as we set out for a time with you on this journey into Exodus, would you open us up again to the rich seams of truth we're going to find buried within it? Lord, would you reveal again to this generation your passionate heart to see your people set free and caught up in the wonder of who you are and what you get to do among us. Lord, we trust you with the cries of our hearts, the deep groanings of life and circumstance right now. Lord, we trust you that you'll take the time to hear them, know them, understand them, and respond. We thank you that you're a God of the promises to set his people free, so that we may get to worship you. Amen.